The fourth reading is from Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment robed in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, good afternoon. Advent is a time to reflect, a time to reflect on the meaning and purpose of our lives, to question whether there's another dimension to life rather than just purely the material. Maybe to ask whether God exists and if he does, whether he's interested in you and I, to question whether there is any substance or reality to the Christian claims. And we've just heard a passage read out from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a real man who lived in history and he claimed to hear from God. His words have been preserved for us and I think they're astonishingly relevant to our context today. Notice what he says in verse 2, the people walking in darkness. People are walking in darkness. Now, darkness is real, just on a physical, material level, this Advent season falls in a time when we all experience the night drawing in in the afternoon. But darkness here means something more than just a seasonal lack of sunlight. In this year in particular, we may feel as if the nation has been in the grip of a shuddering darkness. I don't think we've known such stark political division in my living memory. The threats and intimidation and trolling on social media have made it seem as if the tolerance and reserve that we as British people are known for around the world has been all but forgotten and abandoned. The day before the election, I had a Facebook message from a school friend 
urging me to vote, campaigning in a particular direction, underscoring um, the dangers of particular kind of hatred and taxes being heaped up. And then I had a message from a university friend urging me to vote the opposite way, underscoring the poverty of children and saying that I might be a very evil person if I voted against them and the NHS. Both main party leaders have been vilified in different ways and hated with a vicious uh, passion by opponents on social media to a degree that I can't remember in the last 20 years. People are walking in darkness. It feels as if darkness has been clouding our public conversations. And perhaps in our personal lives, darkness stalks too. Shakespeare wrote about love that the jaws of darkness do devour it up so quick, bright things come to confusion. He's describing the experience of love going sour, the hope of love in a relationship letting us down, and darkness descends on the disappointment of a broken heart. And then there's our mental health. Many of us struggle with feelings of anxiety. Indeed, the statistics suggest that there's been a massive increase in mental health challenges, certainly recorded in Britain over the last few years, and particularly among young people. The darkness of the world that you and I know and experience is real. And Isaiah, a prophet who lived over 2,600 years ago, names it here. He says, people are walking in darkness. Advent, traditionally, is a time to face up to darkness, to let ourselves feel the sting of it. It may come as a surprise, then, to hear that the suffering world, the darkness of the world, is not shied away from by the Bible. Often when we think about faith, many people see faith as a sort of fantasy, an embracing of unreality to help us get through the pain of life, like a drug that lifts us for a few moments or a comfort blanket that we wrap ourselves in. in. But the Bible describes the reality that you and I know, a world in which there is joy and love, but also a world in which terrible and sad things happen to ordinary people. The story is told of a little girl who was six years old. She was doing a story, a project, sorry, on birth at her school. And she came home to her mother and she asked, Mummy, how did I come to be born? The mother was embarrassed. She wasn't ready to have the birds and the bees chat with her daughter. So she said, well, darling, a stork, a big fat bird, brought you and dropped you in a blanket into my back garden. The girl looked a bit worried and said, well, Mummy, how did you come to be born? And the mother, not knowing how to stop digging, said, Well, darling, a stork brought me and dropped me in Granny's back garden. And yes, it was the same with Granny and her mother. The girl looked very confused and went back to school the next day and wrote in her project, There hasn't been a natural birth in our family for three generations. <laughs> we can avoid facing facts. We can avoid facing reality. But the Bible doesn't do that around our experience as human beings of darkness. The final objective of the Christian message and the Christmas message isn't to soothe away our worries with a hallucinogenic or a palliative drug, to pretend that all is well, to dull the pain, but rather to help us see reality. 
Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And in this famous Advent reading that we heard earlier from John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Isaiah says the people are walking in darkness, but they have seen a great light. Light has come into our dark world. That is the claim of Christmas. Now, light opens our eyes. We see things more clearly in the light. This is about truth and reality and not about confusion or deception. Light reminds us that we're not forgotten or left behind. Think about um, the relief you feel if you're staying in a strange hotel room and it's dark and you're stumbling around and you, you find the light switch and it, it comes on and everything becomes clear. Light can also be a searchlight or a rescue light. And when we see it, we know deliverance has come. Um, I remember as a university student, a theology student, being stuck in a sandstorm in no man's land between Turkmenistan and Afghanistan. I'd been part of a small team going to interview the Taliban leadership about their particular brand of theology and also to give them Bibles. And now that small group of students were trying to get home using the route we'd come by. But the Turkmen guards at the border wouldn't let us back into the country. They wanted a bribe and being students, we had no cash on us. A sandstorm erupted in the middle of the afternoon in the desert and it became strangely dark. I don't know if any of you have had that experience, but it's so dark that you cannot see the hand in front of your face. It is unbelievably frightening. We were there for more than three hours. But into that darkness, two headlights shone. A Red Cross truck came through that border and rescued us, and we later found out they only used that route about once every three months. A searchlight or a rescue light when you're lost, when you're alone, means that someone cared enough to come for you. And that is what Jesus does for us in this dark world. He says, I am the light of the world. Light extinguishes darkness. The presence of Jesus, this child that is born, is enough to meet us in the darkness and brokenness we experience. And Isaiah tells us a few things about the characteristics of this light that people walking in darkness see. He prophesies that a child will be born in history. So writing hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Isaiah sees the future and he says this light will take the form of a child. Now Luke locates the story, and again we heard that um, read out in the era of a particular go Roman governor's um, census, we know when this happened. Luke is a doctor, he's a man of science, a Gentile, who writes history, history having carefully investigated his sources. In other words, history is important. It matters that Jesus was actually born, that this is real. Christmas isn't about a fantasy or some ethereal moral principle. This is a verifiable historical reality. A child is born. God is staking a claim for our attention on this person, Jesus of Nazareth. 
So the light takes the form of a child. And then we're told a few things by Isaiah about what this child would be like. He would have authority, government on his shoulders. In other words, this child is going to have the power to actually do something transformative. This is not just an interesting or cosy uh, nostalgic story. We can reach out to Christ personally and nationally. We can look to him for guidance. Another aspect is that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. Um, that he would identify with us, comfort us, counsel us. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, is going to go on and bear our darkness, take our darkness into himself to truly be able to comfort and counsel us. Jesus' birth, as we've heard, is very humble in its location. The baby is placed in a manger. That's an animal feeding trough. He comes for us. He comes in order to rescue us. And he's called the mighty God. Um, This is God with us, the angels lighting up the sky at his birth, draw our attention to the fact that this is no ordinary child. He will be called everlasting father. There's an eternal nature to the character of this child. And he will be called the prince of peace. The claim here is that Christ has the power to bring otherworldly peace into our stress-filled world. Jesus later in the Gospel of John calls this peace that passes understanding, anxiety-busting, supernatural peace. He brings peace and the possibility of reconciliation peace between rivals. In our culture, with our current obsession with who has a greater claim to have been victimised, who can characterise the other as hateful or opposing views as hate speech, as layers of intersectional injustice and pain build walls between generations between races, political parties, and economic groups, how desperately we need the model and the empowering of the Prince of Peace to show us a way beyond tolerating the other, to radical welcome, hospitality, forgiveness, and even grace, and how desperately our anxious hearts personally need his peace. That is the claim of Christ. His presence in our hearts, in our lives, in our nation, as the Prince of Peace, enable to transform us. Peace between us, peace between rivals, and ultimately peace between us and God. How's he going to bring about peace between humanity and all our brokenness and darkness and God? Um, The story is told of of a man who was shopping on Christmas Eve at Selfridges and um, he was surrounded by quite a few other um, people doing their last minute shopping. And he was being absolutely exasperated. There were about 55 people in the queue ahead of him 
um, to pay. And um, as, as he, he, the panic began to ensue and people were getting angrier and angrier that it was taking so long to pay, the person in front said they should kill the guy who invented Christmas. And the person standing behind him said, they did, they did. <laughs> Peace between us and God is ultimately brought through Jesus' destination. He's heading all the way through the Gospels towards the cross. Think about the carol we're going to sing in a moment. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Peace and reconciliation between us and between us and God. Horizontal and vertical. Flows from an essential rightness in our relationship with God, peace on earth, says Wesley, and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, brought together by the Prince of Peace. And as Matthew's Gospel reminded us, Joseph is told, give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Jesus is coming, foreseen by Isaiah, Isaiah writing ahead in history that there is darkness and light is going to come. That light will take the form of a child and that child, that individual, will be the Prince of Peace, offering us forgiveness, offering us a rightness with God. People are walking in darkness, but light has come. God himself has entered our world for the sheer love of us. Every single one of us, fearfully and wonderfully made, completely and utterly loved by our creator. You see, light has a face, and that face looks at you with love. So this Advent season, a time of watching and waiting, a time of anticipation, a time of experiencing and feeling and knowing that darkness is real, will you invite the one who Isaiah saw in his future, who came in history and who we can know today, living in our hearts, filling us with his divine love and his peace, will you invite him? Will you let him rescue you from the darkness you experience and give you his comfort, his counsel, his peace? He is just a prayer away from every single one of us. Why not reach out to him right now and receive that peace with God, forgiveness, a fresh start, a relationship with God beginning today and lasting beyond death into eternity.